Welcome back to RUF. Glad you're here for this second RUF of the semester. I'm not going to use a mic again. I'll just talk really loud. Can everybody hear me in the back? Please say yes. Um, there's probably some new faces here that weren't here last week, and so let me briefly tell you about RUF, just summarize who we are. Three words. The Word of God, Jesus, and community. That's who RUF is. Uh, the Word of God, we believe that the Bible is inspired from God and that it speaks to all of our life, that we are to bring all of our life under the teaching of Scripture. That's why we preach it. That's why we talk about it in our small groups, because we believe this is the thing that we need the most, is to hear from God through His Word every week. The second thing is Jesus Christ. We claim to know nothing but Jesus Christ in this ministry and Him crucified. And so I will do my best by the grace of God every week to stand up here and give you Jesus. Why? Because He is our only hope. We have this natural bent uh, in our hearts because of the fall in Genesis 3 to run after broken cisterns that don't hold water, to run and latch on to idols. And we believe that those idols will always fail us but that Jesus is the well that will never run dry. He's the only place that we can go and never thirst again. So that's why we make much of Him here at RUF. And then thirdly, community. We want to be a group of uh, believers and even people that don't know Jesus where they can come into our community and hear the gospel preached. And we want you to be able to come wherever you are, whether you're having a terrible day, and whether you're struggling with whether you even believe this stuff or not. We want you to be able to come and we want to give you the space to investigate the claims of Christ. And whether you've been a believer all your life and believed in Jesus and can't even remember when you became a Christian and just want to grow, we want you to come to RUF to do that. We want to be a place where you can come as you are, wherever you are, and be yourself. We believe the Christian life is not about doing, but it's about being, about being who you are. I want RUF to be a place where you can come and rest, to not come and feel like you have to keep doing one more thing. You're full of that week in and week out with all your responsibilities. So we want you to come here and rest and experience the grace and the mercy of Jesus. Enough about RUF. Let's start our series this fall. If you have questions, please feel free to ask me after RUF. I'd love to talk with you more about it. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the Old Testament. I'm going to look at the Old Testament this semester. At RUF, we normally try to go back and forth. Old Testament, New Testament. This semester, we're going to do a series, Jesus in the Old Testament. We believe that the Bible from beginning to end is a story about Him. That He is the center of all Scripture. And so we're going to look this semester at how the Old Testament points to Christ. Joshua 1, verses 1 through 9. As you're turning, I'm sure you're all familiar with the group U2. Everybody's probably heard of U2. You've probably heard of the song, Sunday, Bloody Sunday. What you might not realize about that song is the backstory. 
The song was actually written about an event in January 1972 when a group of British police officers opened fire on a crowd of protesters in Northern Ireland, killing 13 people. And in that song, Bono contrasts that Sunday with a Sunday in which Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. And in that song, Bono sings this line, How long must we sing this song? And then later he says that the battle has yet just begun to claim the the victory that Jesus has won. And Bono is basically lamenting in that song when he says, How long must we sing this song? He's lamenting over the pain and the brokenness and the fallenness of the world. But at the same time, he's pointing us to Jesus as our only hope. And I want to suggest this evening that that is the message that the world needs to hear. And that is the message that this campus needs to hear. And that is the message that we need to hear this evening. And that is exactly the message that this passage gives us. We're all facing battles. We're all facing something in our life and we need strength and we need courage. And that's exactly what our passage gives us tonight. I think you'll see what I mean as I read. Follow along with me if you have your Bible. Joshua 1, verses 1 through 9. This is God's Word. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord... The Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I've promised to Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to the fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is God's Word. Let me pray. Father... We need your help tonight. Um, Without your Spirit taking this Word and applying it to our hearts, these are nothing more than words on a page. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask you to come and open up our eyes. 
teach us, rebuke us, correct us, train us, change us, show us Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen. In these opening verses of the book of Joshua, God is speaking to Joshua, who is the new leader of Israel. Moses has just died. If you know something about Moses, he was one of the most prominent people in the Bible up until this point, and he's passed away, and Joshua now is leading Israel. Joshua brought them up to the edge of the promised land, which was Canaan, and now Joshua was going to take them the rest of the way in. And so here's the scene, okay? Joshua is overlooking the Jordan, looking at the promised land, and yes, he's excited, but he's also fearful. He's also scared. Why? Well, because if you remember, if you uh, read the book of Numbers in chapter 13, you might remember that Joshua and Caleb were spies in the land of Canaan, right? And when they went into the land of Canaan, they saw what it was like. They saw how big the city was. They saw how big the armies were. The, all the weaponry and the chariots. They knew what was over there. That's why they were so afraid. They knew how big the battle was going to be. And it's obvious. Look, they're fear, full of fear and anxiety. Three times we read those words, be strong and courageous. What about you tonight? When you think about the things that are going on in your lives, the Jerichos that seem to be bearing down on you with their invincible walls and looking you right in the eye, what do you do? Where do you turn? You know, there's the emotional problems. See, we all have these struggles because we live in a broken, fallen world. There are the emotional problems, the health problems. There's the homesickness, which some of you are experiencing right now. You're missing your friends. You're missing home. You're lonely. There are the relational problems. Some of you thought that your relationship was going to end in marriage only to come to a screeching halt. And now you're left picking up the pieces of a broken heart. There is the sin that never seems to go away, that always seems to be plaguing you. There are the addictions. There are the families that are being ripped apart, some of you even this summer, by divorce. There's the conflict with roommates and with friends and boyfriends. All of us, if we're honest, are facing some sort of Jericho that seems invincible. And we need courage. We need strength. And that's exactly what Joshua chapter 1 gives us. Here's the question. How do we be strong and courageous when the battles of life seem so big? Well, first, if you look at your outline printed for you on the back of the announcements, if we're going to be strong and courageous in the midst of of the battles in life, we have to first trust in God's promise. Look at verses 1 through 4. Now this, wasn't, this promise wasn't God giving Joshua 
some promise to put up on his mirror and memorize every morning and beat into his head. No, he was giving, it was so much bigger than that. God was reminding Joshua of a promise that he had made way back in Genesis chapter 12 when he made a promise to Abraham and to the people after Abraham that he was going to give them a land called Canaan. And God is telling Joshua that that promise is still alive, that you're looking at this promise and that that promise did not die with the passing of Moses. Look at verse 2. What does it say? It says, my Moses, my servant is dead, so you have to wait. It doesn't say that. Moses, my servant is dead, so go weep and mourn. No, look what it says. Moses, my servant is dead, but rise and go across into the land. Moses dies, but God's promise lives on. There was a passing of an error with Moses, but the endurance of a promise. God's loyalty... God's faithfulness and His commitment to His promises did not evaporate with a funeral, a river, and a fortified city. It's so much more powerful, so much more sure than that. But see, you know, we often don't get the force of what's being said here because the God, what He's really promising to the patriarchs is so much more, and to Joshua, and to God's people, is so much more than the land of Canaan. If you read the entire Bible and get into the New Testament, you'll realize that God has promised His people, those that follow Jesus, the entire world, the inheritance of the entire earth. Canaan was simply the starting point. Okay, and that's where you get all these holy wars in the Old Testament. God's people were to move out and to conquer their enemies and bring them from worshiping idols to worshiping the one true and the living God. And they were to bring every nation, tongue, and tribe under the lordship of God so that they were worshiping Jesus. That is what God is reminding Joshua of here. That through him and through the family and through God's people, he will bless the entire earth. And sadly... I would say that for the most part, Christians have lost sight of this vision. And what I mean by that is we tend to think of the Christian life as being this, that, okay, it's good, I need Jesus to save me from hell, and then I'm going to, when I die, I'll go up and play a harp and sing in a choir. Boring! That sounds so boring! Choirs are great. Harps are great. But the vision is so much bigger. Jesus says that the meek shall inherit the earth. You and I have been given a vision. And it's not something that is comfortable and safe, but it is to take the entire world and win it for Christ. You have been given a vision that one day Jesus is going to return and bring down the new heavens and the new earth, as it says in Revelation, and He's going to conquer all yours and all our enemies, and you, if you're a believer in Jesus, will reign with Him over all the earth. Is that what you believe tonight? Do you believe in a view of Jesus that says that that's what He came to do in the world? 
Are you trusting Jesus tonight to save your soul? That's good. But it's not big enough. Are you trusting Jesus to help you in your personal life? Or help you with an exam maybe that you have this week? That's good. But it's not big enough. My question is, do you believe in Jesus, the promise, the way Joshua believed in the promise? Do you believe that Jesus is going to conquer all his enemies and we will inherit the entire earth? That there won't be one square inch of this planet at the end of the day that is not worshiping and bowing to the name of Jesus? If that vision grips your heart and we start to believe that, now that's going to give us courage. That's going to give us confidence in the midst of whatever it is that we're facing right now in this moment. You want to have strength and courage? Believe and trust in God's promise. Secondly, if we want to have strength and courage in the midst of our battles, we've got to trust God's Word. Look at verses 7 and 8. You know, we live in the golden age of Christian publishing. And it really is pretty amazing that there's never been a time in history, more than now, that there's been more written about Jesus and about what it means to be a Christian than now. And that's an amazing and that's a great thing. But I think there's also been a cost There's been a downside, and that is is that we tend to shy away from the Scriptures and shy away from the Bible and just go immediately to the latest book by Piper or the latest book by Donald Miller or whoever it is you read. And listen, I'm not saying that Christian books aren't good. I read them all the time. They're great and we need them. But I want to remind us this morning or this afternoon or this evening, whatever it is, that the Bible is the only book that is God's message to us. That is God's Word. It's the only book that is sharper than any double-edged sword. It's the only book that, as the psalmist says, has the power to revive our soul. It's the only book that can give us the stability and the security and the strength that we can find nowhere else. And that's why God says to Joshua in verses 7 and 8, if you're going to have courage, if you're going to have courage in the midst of the struggle that you're about to encounter, it's only going to be when my word is the foundation of your life. When it's something that you memorize and meditate on and is on the tip of your tongue. You know, we just finished... Uh, the field house here at Sanford, most of you probably came in and that was complete. But if you were here during the construction of the field house over in the end zone of the football field, you'll know that they dug deep down into the rock and into the ground in order to lay the foundation. Much of that foundation is now unseen. All of it's unseen. But it is absolutely vital to the strength and to the stability stability of that building. 
Without the foundation and all the work that they did on that, the first severe storm or tornado that comes sweeping through the campus, it would fall in an instant. The same is true for God's Word. If we are to have strength and courage in the middle, in the midst of the battle, God's Word has to be the foundation of our lives. Why? Because the Bible says all other words fall to the ground. But it's God's Word, the Bible, that stands forever. God's Word is to be a necessity in the midst of our struggles and trials. You know, the Bible, if you look into the New Testament and read the Gospels, it was an absolute necessity for Jesus. If you remember when He was struggling uh, with temptation, when He was being tempted by Satan in the wilderness, every time Satan would tempt Him, how would Jesus respond? By quoting Scripture. By quoting the Word of God back to Him. Jesus is on the cross. He's at the end of His rope. The sins of the world have been poured out upon Him. He's at the end of His life and He says what? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22. Quoting Scripture right to the very end. Every time Jesus was squeezed by life, out came the Word of God. And my question for you is, what comes out of you when life squeezes you and bears down on you? When does the Bible become the place to which you run? How do you view your struggles? How do you make sense of your suffering and your battles in life? And I want to suggest if you make sense of them any other way than by looking through the lens of the Scriptures, then you'll be in a constant state of fear and turmoil and confusion. Why? Because the only way life makes sense is when we view, view it through the Bible. You see, it's as we meditate on God's Word, it's as we hear it preached and we memorize it, and we study it, and we talk about it in our small groups, that we realize that it is the strength and the stability and the hope that we've been looking for. It's through the Word that we know that God holds us tightly and is with us in the midst of whatever it is we're struggling with. So how do we face the battles, the Jerichos in our lives? Trust in God's promise. Secondly, trust in His Word. And thirdly and finally, trust in His presence. Look at verses 5 and 9. It says, I will never let you go, never forsake you. Do not be terrified or discouraged. The Lord is with you wherever you go. You see, it was because God was present with Joshua that he could say, be strong and courageous. Joshua was not told to grit his teeth and to work up more courage on his own so that he could be stronger and more courageous. No, it's only because God is with him that he could be strong and he could be courageous. And I don't know about you, but I find it interesting as you're looking at this passage 
This is the first record we have of God's interaction with Joshua. God had obviously put His favor on Joshua. We know that because he was chosen to succeed Moses and to lead God's people into the promised land. But isn't it interesting that here Joshua is in favor with God, right smack in the middle of God's will, and the first thing that God does is send him into war. Send him into the battle. What do we learn from this? Here's what we learn. God can be with you. You can be following hard after Him, being more faithful in your Christian walk than you've ever been, and yet your life not be free from struggles and trials and heartache and pain. How would your perspective change if you really believe that, that God is with you in whatever it is you're going through. And it doesn't mean, you know, oftentimes when the first sign of trouble hits my life, automatically I think either God's mad at me, that I've done something, that I've screwed up, that I've somehow lost His favor, that He's out to get me or hurt me in some way. That's what I automatically tend to go to when the first sign of suffering or struggle comes into my life instead of believing that God is good, that His ways are good, that He is wise, and that He is working out His purposes in my life, though I might not have a clue what they are and how He's doing that. Or oftentimes we might do that or we might take the first sign of trouble and say, God, just give me relief. You've probably done this. God, just take this away from me. Cure my broken heart. Heal my family. Whatever it might be. And God says, no. I want to work on you. I want to work on your character. I want to work on your heart. I want to make you more and more into my image. Rather than simply take away the problem. Elizabeth Elliot tells about a time that she was in North Wales and she saw a shepherd taking his sheep and shoving them down into this pool of disinfectant in order to kill the bugs and the insects and the disease and the parasites. And she says the sheep absolutely hate it when the shepherd does that. And she said she would watch this scene and the sheep were bleeding and struggling and said the shepherd would take their head and shove it under the water. He would shove it again and again and he said just when you thought it was over, the shepherd would take their head and shove it into the pool of disinfectant one last time. And then she notes that, you know, that is the very best thing that can be done for the sheep. Because it's actually saving the sheep's life. And then she has this remarkable sentence that says, I wonder what it feels like to think that your shepherd is trying to kill you. You ever felt that way? I have. 
You ever felt like God, the good shepherd, is trying to hurt you in some way because of something that He's brought into your life? We've all been there, and if you haven't, you will, I promise. Just live long enough. What if... Is it not possible that instead of thinking that God is trying to hurt us in some way, is it not possible that a God who is all-loving, all-powerful, full of all knowledge and love, could not send storms and trials and battles into our life, things in which we feel like we're actually drowning in order to teach us things that we have to have, in order to help us grow and change and mature and grow in our faith. The only comfort that we have in the Christian life, I wish I could say differently, but the comfort is not that God's going to take away all your struggles if you become a Christian. I wish it were true. But it's not. The only comfort that we have is that He is with you in the midst of them. And He will give you what you need to face them. Last spring, we had a series of thunderstorms that swept through Birmingham. My four-year-old, Kate, is absolutely terrified of thunderstorms. And... Every time a thunderstorm comes, my wife and I hold our breath because we know that if she starts crying, she's going to end up in the bed with us. So this particular storm was rolling through Birmingham, and it was a bad one, and we're holding our breath saying, come on, just pass, just pass. Well, sure enough, the loudest clap of thunder and brightest bolt of lightning you've ever seen, one of those that kind of shake the house, you know, comes crashing down, Kate pops up, screaming at the top of her lungs. I run back, I run into her room, and Kate is actually under the cover. She's so scared. She's under the cover, screaming and crying. She hears my voice, she pulls off the cover, and, she said, and I grab her and I pick her up in my arms, and almost immediately, Kate stops crying. And so finally I said, calm her down, and I said, Kate, I'm going to lay you back in the bed and cover you up and I'm going to sit at the foot of the bed until the storm passes. Well, I'm sitting at the foot of the bed and it was less than a minute and Kate was sound asleep, out like a light. Was it because the storm had passed? No. It was still louder than ever before. The lightning was still flashing and the thunder was still coming down and the rain was beating against her window. What made the difference? Well, the difference was that I was her father and I was with her and that was enough. How much more? Whatever it is you're going through, think about this. How much more... Should you be comforted? How much more should we be encouraged by knowing that our Heavenly Father is with us? That He's present. That He's with us wherever we go, as He told Joshua. And that He is going to give us what we need to face whatever it is that is looking us in the eye right at this very moment. 
You know, we'll be strong and courageous in the chaos that consumes our life sometimes when we realize that God is a warrior that fights for His people. He fought for us, for you and for me, by sending one greater than Joshua, by sending us Jesus, His one and only Son, who came down into the world and fought the greatest battle that the world has ever known and secured ultimate victory over sin and death and the evil one. And He now sits on His throne and He rules over all creation and conquering all of His and all our enemies. And He did it, not with military might, like Joshua and the Israelites, but He did it with the sacrifice of His life. And He went head on into the only battle that really matters so that you can face whatever it is that you're dealing with tonight. Where are you? Are you struggling? Do you feel like Bono and want to say, How long, O Lord, do we sing this song? Let me remind you, don't forget the rest of the song. And that is that we need to claim the victory that Jesus has won. That's the message that this campus needs to hear. And that's the message that you and I need to hear as well. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we don't understand why sometimes that you bring in hard things into our life. Oftentimes we don't get what you're doing, but I pray that you would allow us to move our eyes off of ourselves and move them heavenward so that we can see a bigger picture, and that is that you're a good God, that you love your people, that you're working out your purposes in the world and in our lives, and you're writing a story. And often, uh, again, that story doesn't make sense to us, but you are making the world into something beautiful. You are renewing it and making it uh, new. And you are making us new. You promise that for those that are your children, that you will change them and make them and eradicate sin from their life and make them into the beautiful person that they were intended to be. I pray that we would believe that in the midst of whatever it is that we're struggling with. Father, that we would trust you, we trust your word and your promises. And more than anything, trust and know that you're with us in the midst of them. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Shanam's love.